Welcome to the teachings of Pastor Mike Yost of the Springs Calvary Chapel in Habern, Idaho. Please join us as we study the Word of God. Amen. <laughs> Come to the altar. Jesus is calling. This morning we're going to talk about that calling that Jesus has. Jesus has for the despised. Jesus has for the disrespected. Jesus has for the hated. Jesus has for you. And he has for me. He's called us to come to the altar. And so we're going to look at that a little bit this morning in Luke chapter 5. I just want to start out just by word of uh, recognition. Thank Frankie for coming and bringing the word last week, abiding in the vine. And he's doing such a wonderful job. I love it when he's able to come and, and uh, cover for Cheryl and I. We were on our 32nd anniversary getaway, okay? We went up to uh, Redfish Lake and uh, right there by the Frank Church Wilderness, and uh, we were just enjoying the fish and the fun and the, the atmosphere. And uh, so, in a way, you could say we did go to church last week, and, uh, and actually, I may be able to make a linkage to what Jesus does uh, where he gets alone with the Father in the wilderness. He goes to church. But first, we're going to talk about a different kind of church, that church that Jesus called to himself. The word for church, the, the Greek word is ekklesia, and that comes from two words, ek, which means out of, and kaleo, which means to call. So ecclesia, or church, is those who have been called out of the world and into the kingdom of heaven. That's the definition of church. When you come to church, you're called, you're coming to Jesus. So kind of, let's look at how this works, okay? Verse 5, or verse 1 of chapter 5 in the Gospel of Luke. So it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got in one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. Let's go ahead and pray. Father God, as we open your word, I pray you would open our hearts, you would open our minds, you would open our ears. Help us to see what you're saying to the church in Jesus' name. Amen. So it was, as the multitude pressed about him, we noticed in the last chapter how people were coming and having uh, demons cast out and uh, everybody who came to him was healed. Uh, it says in verse 42 of chapter 4, now when it was day he departed and went into a deserted place and the crowd sought him and came to him and tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also, because for this purpose I have been sent. And he was preaching at the synagogues of Galilee, so it was, verse 1, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God. This is basically the MO, modus operandi, of Jesus' ministry. 
he would just go and share the word of God. It says that he would preach the word of God. Here it says that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret, and that's the posture of a preacher, is to stand, to herald, to declare to the world, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Come to the altar. Jesus Christ's blood has made a way into eternity for you. That's preaching. And then there's teaching. And that's where you take the word of God. And it says here, the people came to hear the word of God. The scriptures, that which God has declared in his holy scriptures. The Bible, 66 books penned by 40 different authors, princes and publicans, farmers and fishermen, all walks of life, three different continents over multiple millennia, and yet one cohesive unit. One message from all across the planet that God loves us. God created us to worship him, and God has a plan to bring us into his family and make us his children. And so the people want to hear that word taught to them. That's a distinctive of the Calvary chapels. Not that other churches don't, but all Calvary chapels do teach the word. The difference between teaching and preaching, preaching, I just declare the word. Teaching, I help you understand the word. In the book of Nehemiah, when they were rebuilding the temple, they had lost the, the scrolls. They had lost the scriptures. And when they found them, they gathered all the people together. And uh, then it says in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 8, so they read distinctly from the book of the law of God, and they gave the sense and helped them to understand the reading, that's a definition of expositional teaching, of inductive Bible study, three basic tenets. And they're the things that I attempt to do every Sunday, every Wednesday, every time I get up to teach God's Word. First, I want to read distinctly, make clear observation. What does God's Word say? We have to start with God. We have to start with His Word. We don't start with our uh, imaginations or our, our, um, what we want or hope to find. Oh, I hope I can find a verse in the Bible that says, it's okay for me to buy a uh, bass boat. And you start going, oh, look, look, they got a boat. I can get a Honey, honey, Bible says I can buy a boat. That's not how that works. You have to start from the inside out. You start with the Word of God. That's observation, reading distinctly from the book in the law of God. And they gave the sense, that is to interpret the Word. Much of the Bible, obviously, penned over millennia, comes from different cultures, different people groups, different languages, and it sometimes requires interpretation. What does that mean? You can't apply necessarily that word to how it means today. A lot of words have changed meaning over the years. You have to go back to the original languages, the original text. And this is what these readers were doing. They would read distinctly, clear observation, and then they would help to interpret, to give uh, the meaning of it. So we understand what it means, because sometimes that's where we get mistaken. We think it means one thing, like I can buy a bass boat, when that's really not what it was saying at all, bad interpretation. And then, finally, it says, they read distinctly from the book in the law of God, they gave the sense and helped them 
to understand the reading. Okay, I can see clearly who, what, where, when, why, how. Got that. I understand what was going on, what the original audience would have understood, what the original speaker would have meant to say, what were the circumstances that maybe influenced that passage, and then the understanding or the application. What am I supposed to do with that? How am I supposed to put that into action in my life? What does it mean to me? Yeah, that's great for those guys hundreds of years ago, but man, they don't know my life. They may not, but God does. And God's Word is eternal. God's Word accomplishes that for which He sends it forth to accomplish. And as we open up the Word, preach the Word, read the Word, then interpret the Word and give understanding, hopefully we can walk out the door saying, man, I feel like God spoke to me this morning. Now, I do this by way of hopefully encouraging you to do this, okay? I hope you don't just come on Sunday morning. Let's hear what Mike has to say. My, <laughs> I am just a sinner saved by grace. I'm a knucklehead on Christ. I love God's Word. I can testify to what Jesus has done for me, and my life has never been the same since I stopped and took God at his word and started applying it into my life through observation, interpretation, and application, and it's revolutionized my life. And I, I highly recommend it to all of you. Yet, ultimately, it comes down to you and your personal relationship with God and his word, especially his word made flesh, Jesus Christ, okay? And this is how you are going to come to know him if you just follow these fundamental principles. Well, that's what Peter, that's what Jesus was doing, and the crowds were just, just encroaching upon him. Everybody wanted to come to hear the word, okay? And he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. Gennesaret, uh, the word literally means heart, okay? And the sea or the lake that they were next to, we know it as the Sea of Galilee, or sometimes it's called the Sea of Tiberias. Um, Gennesaret, it kind of looks a little bit like a heart, and so it was called sometimes Gennesaret, sometimes the Sea of Tiberias or the Sea of Galilee, but it wasn't technically a sea in that it was fresh water. It wasn't salt water, okay? It was about 13 miles north to south, about seven miles across, so it's a very, very large inland body of water, but it's got the Jordan River flowing in from the top and flowing out from the bottom, and it keeps it fresh and, and, and full of life and livelihood. And, and uh, so this is the area, okay? They're, they're at the shoreline at the Lake of Gennesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Now, there's a lot of ways to catch fish, obviously, and I'm not going to go into great detail about this, but there's the classic, the rod and reel, a lot of us are familiar with, or casting nets. Less of us are familiar with at least as having practiced it, right? I'm sure you've seen it on TV, and, and it's a very common form of catching fish, and that's just how they were going about their fishing. They would let down the nets from the boats as they went across the waters, and they would bring in their haul, okay? And so, uh, this, is, this is the scenario. This is the scene. Then he, Jesus, got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught. 
I've brought this out a couple different times. I do it when he was in Nazareth, right? When he was in the synagogue and it was his turn to read. He got the scroll of Isaiah. He stood up. He read the scroll of Isaiah. He rolled it up, put it away, sat down, and he began to teach. And that's the posture of teaching, okay? Preaching doesn't take a long time. You just get out and declare the word of God. Teaching, we might be here for a minute, okay? And uh, so he would sit and teach. And so he's now sitting in the boat and taught the multitudes from the boat. Now, this is advantageous in several ways. For starters, he's being thronged by the multitudes. And if you're surrounded in a crowd of people and you're trying to teach, maybe two or three rings deep of people might hear you. But then, you know, nobody can hear what you're doing and everybody in the background's murmuring. But if he moves out onto the lake shore, then everybody kind of disperses across the shore and spreads them out so they're, they all basically have a front row seat. And it's wonderful the way water works as a sounding board, how sound travels across water amazingly. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but you can be camping on a lake and a half mile across the lake, there's another campsite and you can hear what they're talking about. It's, it, so, so Jesus, God, who created the heavens and the earth, he understands the physics of sounding boards, and he just employs it as part of his teaching practice. Okay, I'm going to pull it out on the boat. Everybody can hear me. Everybody can see me. Okay, let me start teaching. Now, this is the one part I wish I knew, and it's not in here. I wish I knew what he was teaching them. Wouldn't that be cool? It doesn't say. He just taught. He taught a lot. It doesn't say all the things that he was teaching. What we do know, he was teaching the word of God, okay? He was taking the scriptures and helping people understand them and apply them to their lives. So he puts out a little bit of a way, and uh, he got in one of the boats, which was Simon's, okay? And uh, Simon is Andrew's brother. We met Andrew, and now Simon, a fisherman, has asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught in the multitude from the boat, verse 4. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. Now, I can imagine this. Anybody ever been fishing and got skunked? Okay, if you're a diehard fisherman, you can sit there like from sunup to sundown and not catch anything. For me, when I take out my grandson Levi, we better catch a fish in about five minutes. That's, that's about it, right? And most of you know when you're fishing with a grandson, it takes five minutes just to untangle the thing before you can cast. <laughs> Nevertheless, we all have a point where we come to the end of the rope. We're exasperated. We've lost patience and and especially these guys, fishermen, hauling out a net, soaking the net, pulling the net. They've been doing this all night long. No doubt they are exhausted. That's hard work. And it's even harder when you're getting nothing, okay? A lot of times you can work all day long and not even notice the strain, not stop for lunch or anything. Things are going well. You're making progress, and you just work, work, work. But there are those days where nothing seems to work. And you're just going at it and hammering at it and just grinding away. And it seems like every step forward is two steps backwards. And this is Peter. And yet, look how Peter answers Jesus. He says, Master, okay, we've fished all night and caught nothing. Okay, Rabbi Jesus, I know you're a teacher. You're a good teacher. But, but Rabbi Jesus, 
I'm a fisherman. I know fishing, okay? This is what I do. This is my livelihood. I know when the fish aren't biting. It's just not happening right now, teacher, okay? Uh, And yet, he doesn't call him teacher. What does he call him? Master. Interesting, he's already got this relationship where he looks upon Jesus as his master. If I could refer you back to chapter 4, after Sabbath service in the synagogue there in Capernaum, they went out for lunch. Whose house did they go to? Anybody remember? Peter's mother-in-law's house, okay? And Peter's mother-in-law was sick. She was in bed with a fever. And you remember what happened? Jesus healed her. Jesus healed her, okay? And, and what did she do? She got up and served them. So Peter's already experienced miraculous healings at the hand of the master. He already knows Jesus can do the undoable. Jesus can do the impossible. So, master, fished all night, caught nothing, but at your word, we'll go ahead and do it. And how often it is that God calls us to partner with him in the impossible Often, that's, that's how God almost just likes to work. Let's do this impossible thing together. And you're like, yeah, but God, I know you're God, but I'm a human, and I know impossible when I see impossible, and that's not possible. Well, your vision is a little bit out of focus. You can see the impossible, but can you see God? Because when God says to let down the net, the answer is, yes, sir, how deep, Right? And so Peter does recognize, and he lets down his net. It says, um, verse 5, But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. Okay, at your word. That's, uh, you know, it, it started out, they came to hear the word of God. That's logos, the Greek word logos. And it's like the word for a logo, right? If I show you a logo, like a, a swoosh, Most people say, oh, that's the logo for Nike. Well, the word, the logos, is really a picture form of who God is and what his message is to us. And that's where we get that word for logos, okay? We are to not just read the words, but to see the picture and understand the message behind that. Now, when he says to cast down his nets, that's the word for word, the Greek word rhema. And rhema is a command. It's a spoken word. And so now Peter recognizes that Jesus has given him a command. Yes, master, at your rhema, at your command, I will let down the nets. Now, I just share this with you, right? What are we doing? Observation, interpretation, application. We've got the word, logos, of God. It reveals to us Jesus Christ. It reveals to us the plan of salvation. It reveals to us who God is, who we are, and what our relationship is. But we have the rhema as well, the command of God. Thou shall, thou shall not, okay? And as we read God's word and he speaks to us and says, do this and don't do that, we say, yes, sir, okay? We respond to that command. And so, He's responding to the command. Verse 
6, and when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help him, help them, and they came and filled both boats, so they began to sink. That's a lot of fish, okay? Uh, Cheryl and I, we, when we were in uh, Israel, along the north shore of the Sea of Galilee, near uh, Dalmutha or Magdala, on the north uh, west shore of the Sea of Galilee, there's a, a display uh, called the Jesus Boat, okay? And it's really not like this boat, but it is a boat from the time of Christ, okay? It's been da- dated, and, and they've identified it. And what happened was back in 1986, there was a really bad drought, and the water levels went down so low on Lake Gennesaret, the Sea of Galilee, that they saw an old boat protruding. They went out and excavated it, and through uh, different things like the nails they used and pottery and different things like that, they were able to date it to the time of Jesus. This boat is about 27 feet long and about uh, seven and a half feet wide. Obviously, it's decayed, and all that's left is basically the hole, but you can go see it, and uh, it's kind of cool to see something that was from the days of Jesus, and uh, the, the odds of that boat that you can see in Israel today being this boat that they're standing in are very, very slim, but it's not hard to connect the dots that this was a typical fishing boat. A boat that stands about four and a half feet at the gunwales, 27 feet long, and seven and a half feet wide can hold a lot of fish, okay? They would just bring the nets up and just dump the fish into the bottom of the boat as it filled up, right? And there comes a point of equilibrium where... <laughs> Now we're, we're, we're starting to take water on, okay? We filled this thing up. We need to call another boat. I, what, what on earth is going on here, right? So another boat comes out. We're going to see this is James and John who are partners with them in the fishing business. And uh, they, they, they fill these two boats up and to the point they're both sinking. Absolutely amazing. You know, we had something, I had something fun this last week. I, was, uh, I got a call from uh, Lighthouse Christian Fellowship, right? in Twin Falls, and uh, Brother Mark there who oversees the men's ministry, he invited us guys out to a men's breakfast coming up in November. We'll have that in the bulletin for you all, but we go out that way a time or two, and all the guys and other churches are invited, and we go and have great fellowship and great breakfast, just like the one coming up this coming Saturday here at our church. It's open to men from all different fellowships to come on and have some good food and fellowship and build our faith, right, to come together that way. But Mark was talking, he goes, you know, it's amazing how many churches I call and invite to these things, and yet how many will receive or accept, you know? And even in our own little area here in Minicasha, when I call out for the manna for men coming up on Saturday, how many people just aren't interested in participating with other churches in other events? Now, I will say I have limits too. It must be a, a... a Christ-professing, gospel-believing, biblically-based church. I mean, we have our litmus test, what would, would pass, but if a church is out there faithfully preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ from the Holy Scriptures, right, and people are coming to faith, I can, I can break bread with them. And yet, how hard it is sometimes to, to share with other churches and bring them into different events. And here we see, wow, our boat's so full, there's more than enough we can share, right? The harvest is white, you know? There's so much going on in the kingdom of heaven, so many people that can come to faith in Jesus Christ, and God has given us a boat, we call it the Springs Calvary Chapel, 
But there's other boats out there on the sea, and there's other fish to be harvested, and there's no reason we can't work together for the harvest. Now, we come to this fellowship, we, we find uh, family and friends and faith, and we're comfortable here, but we should be comfortable enough that we could work with other people. Come on, let's, let's bring in the harvest. Let's, let's bring these fish on board. So this is what's going on. Uh, one last thing, that, that fish that they're catching, more likely than not, because it's the predominant fish there in the Sea of Gennesaret, uh, is uh, they call it St. Peter's fish. And if you go there, you want to stop at some place along the way, and there's all kinds of uh, restaurants that sell St. Peter's fish. And what it is, basically, is tilapia. It's a variety of the tilapia family. But when they serve it there, they gut it, but then they fry it, skin and eyeballs and all, right? And so it comes to you on a plate, and there's usually some fried potatoes next to it or whatever, a little bit of gar gar uh, garnish, and there's that. And I, I know I've been there a couple times where, uh, or I've eaten a couple times where people are like, I'm not touching that but looking at me i'm like man this is your chance to eat a fish right out of the bible you know so anyways you can decide on that before you get there so they have more fish than they know what to do with okay uh verse seven so they si signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them and they came and filled up both boats and they so they began to sink enough for everyone Verse 8, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Now here he is. He's recognized Jesus' master healing his mother-in-law. And now here Jesus has done this amazing miracle for him. But in the presence of deity, in the presence of God, in the light of God, all of a sudden he felt the darkness and, and the sinfulness in his heart. Have you ever heard it said by somebody, man, I'm not going to church. The day I go to church, the roof's falling in, right? You've heard those kind of stories, like somehow, um, <laughs> you know, God's going to judge you if you, you come into his presence. Well, this is, a, this is a healthy thing. It's called the conviction of the Holy Spirit, okay? The Holy Spirit comes to convict people of sin. That's not right. And you know it's not right, okay? And righteousness, the Holy Spirit to come is, comes to say, that is righteous, that's good. He comes to convict us of sin and righteousness and judgment. The Holy Spirit says, depending on how you receive my son, Jesus Christ, you are deciding how you will be judged in this world. If you plead the blood of Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus, I just, I pray that your work on the cross, Lord, was sufficient and my debt has been paid. And, and, and you will be judged a child of God, okay? And you'll be entering into heaven. But that judgment also goes, whereas you reject Jesus Christ and the work that he's done on your behalf, especially if you try to do it on your own and think that's going to get you to heaven, you're going to find out that you're not going to be spending, you will be judged not for heaven for eternity, but hell, okay? So this is, this is Peter, his heart is like, oh, oh, have mercy on me, a sinner. Um, and uh, I, I like what we read in um, 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. Uh, we read, this is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie 
and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Honestly, what Peter just did right there, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, is the first step to salvation. It's to recognize that you are a sinner and you need to be saved, okay? And it's that conviction that comes upon your heart that, man, I know I'm not right in my heart. Now, it's interesting how society will put all kinds of norms and mores, morals, whatever, ethics upon us. But you know in your heart, you know in your heart if you're good or bad. And I don't say this to put a guilt trip on you. You already got them. That you look into your heart and you realize, wow, it's wicked. It's deceitful. I, I, I want to do good. <laughs> I'm sitting here in church right now and I'm having thoughts I wish I didn't have. Right? And, and you're like, what am I going to do with that? You confess it. I'm a sinful man. Then you come to the next step. It says, um, depart from me. For I am a sinful man, O Lord, for he and all who were with him were astonished as a catch of fish which they had taken. They realized they were sinful people too. It says, and so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. It talks about James and John. They were the other two in that fishing business, that fishing enterprise. I like what uh, Luke writes later in chapter 9. Picking up at verse 51, this is talking about James and John. It says, Now it come to pass, when the time had come for him to be received up, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem and sent messengers before his face as they went. They entered a village of the Samaritans. When I say Samaritans, you go boo, okay? Samaritans. Good, okay. That's how they felt about Samaritans, okay? To prepare for him. But they, the Samaritans, Good, okay? They did not receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them, just as Elijah did? But he turned and rebuked them and said, You do not know what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. He would nickname them Boanerges, which is to say sons of thunder, right? They, they, just, they were big and loud and proud and boastful and bring fire down from heaven, right? As, as if getting struck by thunder is going to kill you. Anybody here get struck by thunder? It's the lightning that strikes, right? Okay, just so you're following with me. But he calls them the sons of thunder, right? Just loud and proud. And, and it's like, wait a minute, you don't know what manner of persons you are, Okay. It's right that Peter says he's a sinner, and here James and John and, and everybody, they're recognizing this huge catch of fish. We're in the presence of deity. We're absolutely flabbergasted at what's going on here. And so uh, Jesus would say to them, do not be afraid. Right? Do not be afraid. And I understand, you know, it, being afraid of God. I understand recognizing that you're a sinner this is why it's a really good habit every morning when you wake up 
let the first word out of your mouth be Jesus. Just get up in the morning and say, Jesus, good morning. Thank you for another night's rest. Thank you for another day of opportunity. And just spend a couple minutes before you even roll over and drop your feet onto the carpet. Just Jesus, right? Start your day with Jesus, and, and you'll find that perfect love will cast out fear, right? But first, we have to get that relationship right, that I'm in the hands of the master, that he loves me. Do not be afraid, he says. From now on, you will catch men, okay? And that word catch means to catch alive. Back up in, in verse 5, it says, we have fished all night and caught nothing. That is to catch and they die and they become part of our profit, right? We sell these fish. But here, Jesus changes the emphasis on the word a little bit. You're going to catch men, but not to kill them, but to give them life. And that more abundantly. You like fishing, boy, you're going to see fishing like you have never imagined, right? Like that catch of fish that you can't hardly contain it, swamping the boat. You know, one of the things I find that's really, really interesting, and one of the challenges of being a Christian and saying, I want to I step up and do a little ministry. I want to help over in this ministry, or I want to do something over there. I want to do something for the Lord, right? And you step out in faith to do something for the Lord, and then you find all of a sudden that you are busier than you ever thought you would be, and you realize there is no limit to the harvest, okay? You can work and work and work and work and work, and there are still more souls, and there is still more glory to be shed. And, and as God fills you with his Holy Spirit, it just pours in you and pours out of you, and he continues to fill you up, and you continue to go on. It's an amazing thing to step into the path to follow Jesus. In fact, it's interesting, it says here in uh, verse 11, so when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. And that word followed and followed him has to do with a road or a path or a way. Jesus would say, I am the way, the truth, the life. And this isn't an accident that this is a word that's being used. They start following Jesus. They start living Jesus's way on the path that God laid out for him. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And as I follow God's word and his son, the word made flesh, and his spirit speaking commands to me of what I can do for his glory, he gives me enough light to take the next step. It's not a, a spotlight, it's a lamp. You can see that far. But when you move, then you can see that far. And this is the path that God has given us to follow. It says they forsook all. That means the fish. <laughs> That's, that would be just a, an amazing scene. And I'm not sure exactly how this worked out because it doesn't say exactly. I mean, did they just leave those two boats of fish on the shore and start walking away? Obviously, if we read a little bit farther, we'll see they're hanging out in Capernaum more and more and more. So they changed their heart's direction. From before that, they were chasing after what they desired, what they purposed in their heart, what they thought they wanted to do, but their heart changed. And now everything was about following Jesus. It didn't mean they never fished again or caught fish or sold fish, but now 
That was secondary, and Jesus Christ became primary in their life. I love how that worked. Verse 12, And it happened when he was in a certain city that, behold, a man who was full of leprosy saw Jesus and fell on his face and implored him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then he put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged them to tell no one, but to go and show yourself to the priest to make an offering for your cleansing as a testimony to them, just as Moses commanded. However, the report went around concerning him all the more, and great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. So he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. Okay, so here we are. We've left the Sea of Galilee. They're out on the road. As he says, he went into uh, Galilee. Galilee to preach and to teach, and it happened when he's in a certain city, it doesn't describe the city, that behold, a man who was full of leprosy saw Jesus and fall on his face and implored him, saying, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Leprosy was a death sentence in Jesus's day, and uh, it was a very slow death, okay, as it was chronicled uh, in historical accounts, about an average of nine years, and it was a disease that would attack fundamentally the flesh and over time eat away at the flesh to where your fingers could become stumps or you would have no nose or no ear and all kinds of deformities in the skin. If you go to the book of Leviticus in chapter 13 and chapter 14, it talks about how the priest can identify leprosy, a person who has contracted this disease, and then what they would do for a remedy for it or if a person was healed, what they would bring as an offering to um, give to the priest, to give glory to God that they'd been healed. But fundamentally, and this is one thing uh, you may have noticed, I visited my dermatologist this week, okay? <laughs> and if you have stock in liquid nitrogen, you're probably richer today because they used a lot on me. <laughs> and yet, I can assure you, everything's fine, okay? Uh, but in this case, a man that's full of leprosy which is a deadly disease and highly contagious, the, the rules would stipulate that if you were upwind from somebody, you could get no closer than about two meters or about six feet. And you would have to say, unclean, unclean, right? If you're downwind, it was 10 meters or more like 33 feet away. It's the closest you could possibly get. And you would have to declare that you're unclean and move out of the way. This brought on a number of consequences. For one, their regular livelihood would, would, not, would cease to exist. So they would become simply dependent on people just to leave food out for them, right? And they could, when the people would leave the food, then they could go in and get the food. This was often done at the cemeteries, okay? Because it was a place where unclean people could go and not worry about getting defiled. And so lepers would sometimes on the goodness or the charity of people's hearts be able to subsist that way. Not only would they lose their livelihood, they'd likely lose their family. They could no longer be with their wife, their children, their friends. They would, they would be loners. And like I said, it didn't kill you instantly. It was years, years of isolation, solitude, loneliness. Can you imagine the depression, the despair that would come over a person? And, and, and what did you do? To, what sin did you do to get this? Well, nothing. We know there was no sin that caused that. It was just, it was just the nature of a fallen world, a sin-filled world. And yet this poor man, full of leprosy, comes to Jesus 
uh, saying, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Notice, he didn't ask, if you're able, you can make me clean. He already jumped that hurdle. I know you can do it. Jesus has been going around the countryside, healing everybody that comes to him, and casting out demons and all that. He goes, if you're willing, right? In the Old Testament, we only see two cases of recorded healings of leprosy. Miriam, uh, Moses' big sister in the book of Numbers, and in 2 Kings, we hear of Nam, who is cleansed. But those are the only two, and those are like 800 years ago. It's been forever since anybody has ever been cured of leprosy. So basically, all these lepers are just dying a slow, lonely, agonizing, horrifying death. And Jesus comes to town. If you are willing, you can cleanse me, okay? And Jesus says, I am willing. He put out his hand and he touched him, saying, I'm willing, be cleansed. Immediately the leprosy left him. That's so awesome. And we see, Jesus could have just spoke the word. Jesus didn't even have to say anything. He could have just looked at him and boom, he would have been clean. But that's not how Jesus chose to heal him. He touched him. No doubt, this man has not been touched in a very, very long time. You know, I, 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 I love, as we come together as a fellowship, you know, there's a time and a place to refrain from handshakes or hugs, right? Especially if you're sick, right? You don't want somebody to get sick or, or, or that kind of a thing. But how important it is just to touch. I remember when I was a sixth grade teacher in a Christian school, and, uh, you know, they would warn you about all these things about don't touch the children, don't do this, don't do that, right? I mean, we understand the day and age that we live in. But I, if I saw a kid having a hard day, man, I would put my hand on his shoulder or her shoulder and just speak some words of encouragement. But it was the touch. It was the touch. And you know what I'm talking about. There's something about touch. We are, we are tactile beings. We we crave touching, and yet some of us um, just don't, don't receive that. But this morning, <laughs> this is the word, observe, interpret. Jesus wants to touch those who need a touch this morning. He wants to. Often he'll do that through the person sitting next to you in the pew, <laughs> right? Or you come up after the service to be touched. And James it talks about if anyone among you is sick, call the elders and let them come and pray and lay hands on you, right? Anoint them with oil. And, and these are the things that we do. Not that I'm a doctor, not that I'm a healer or, or that, but I'm obedient and I follow the prescriptions that God has given us to do. And we do see beautiful healings. I've witnessed numbers of them in my life. In the Philippines, I've seen four-stage cancer evaporate, gone, lung cancer, just gone, lung clean as a bell. And this is described or diagnosed in three different medical institution hospitals in different islands. It's like, it can happen. I know it can happen. There's no doubt about that. Not if you're able to heal me. The question is, are you willing? Now, does Jesus heal everybody that comes to them with an infirmity? Ask Paul. I had this thorn in my flesh, and I asked Jesus over and over again, can you take this thorn from me? And he goes, my grace 
is made per or my my strength is made perfect in your weakness. My grace is sufficient for you. It may be that whatever it is that you have is part of what God is using to, to use you to reach others. Who knows how often it is I go into a hospital to visit somebody who's in really difficult straits, whatever their circumstances are, and I know they're a brother or sister from the church, and I'm going to go visit them and try to, you know, maybe encourage them a little bit. And you walk in, and the whole hospital staff is like, man, that guy is a beacon of Jesus. Everybody that comes into the room, they're just blessing them and just just loving all over them. And, and here they are, the ones that need it, but they're just a fountain of grace, right? And so this is just something that I, I, I love to see what's happening here. So he put out his hand, he touched him, saying, I am willing to be cleansed immediately. The leprosy left him, hallelujah. And he charged him to tell no one, but to go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as testimony to them, just as Moses commanded. And so do keep the law. Don't break the law. The law says if you have leprosy, and clearly you have leprosy, you're a Jew, you're part of this community, you need to follow through with what the law says. And I mentioned Leviticus 13 and 14. You would go and sac bring a ewe lamb, a couple turtle doves, some scarlet um, thread, some hyssop, all these different things. You would go through the offerings, the sin offering, the trespass offering, the burnt offering, giving thanks and glory to God, recognizing that all healing comes through God, okay? So go do that, but don't tell other people. Just make sure you, you keep yourself right with the law, okay? So he tells them to do that. However, verse 15, the report went around concerning him all the more, and great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. To hear the word, first the word, and to be healed, then the miracle. That's the pattern. Watch it. It's in the Bible. Every time you look, first the word, then the sign, then the miracle, then the wonder. To confirm the word. It always starts with the word. And so hit the word went around. Obviously, this guy semi-obeyed. He did go to the priest. He did make the, the prescribed or required sacrifices. But then he blabbed, okay? And in Matthew and Mark's gospel, it, it makes it a little bit more clear. He went and told everybody, and word spread. Whoa, Jesus cured a death sentence. A man condemned to die this horrible death. Jesus touched him, and he was clean instantly. Wow. Can Jesus do that? Absolutely he can do that. Does he do it? Occasionally. We see it happen. How will we ever know? come to Jesus. Ask him, heal me, touch me, make me whole. Nevertheless, you're king. And I know that for every single one of us, there comes a day when we're going to enter through the portals of glory, aka death, right? So we who have confessed Christ no longer have to fear death, but there is a day where we're going to enter into glory. We're going to shed this body and this body of sin, and we're going to enter into glory. And so that's coming for all of us, right? The last thing that you would want to do, and I thank God that he put an angel at the Garden of Eden to guard it when he evicted Adam and Eve in their sin, that nobody could get back in. Because had they gotten back into the Garden of Eden in their sinful state, they would have then had the tree of life, and they could have lived forever as sinners. Who wants to be a sinner forever? See, this is the program, right? So in all of this, in faith, 
come to Jesus and allow him to have his way and get the glory, okay? Uh, verse 16, so he, this is Jesus himself, often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed, right? Back up in verse 42 of chapter 4, it says, now when it was day, he departed and went into a deserted place. He was always going to pray. This is part of Luke's prescription, right? Dr. Luke, he gives us the prescription. What's the prescription? To get away with God, to get into a time and a place where you can just talk to God, listen to God, read his word, pray, enjoy the wilderness, enjoy, in, in Cheryl and I's case, up there in the Frank Church wilderness on the Salmon River, we just enjoyed the wildlife, the fresh air, the glory of his creation. And it, it, it just restores and rejuvenates you. And it's something that Jesus did often, frequently, regularly, habitually. Let me ask you a question, church. Is Jesus the way, the truth, the life? Is he our example in life? Should we follow in his footsteps? Then should we get away and pray? Obviously, right? Are we? Maybe. I did just last week, okay? <laughs> as often as is possible. Obviously, you can see many times people just came and mobbed Jesus, right? It's not like he could set his clock and go, I'm sorry, you guys are going to have to go away. It's prayer time right now. Sometimes he would walk until he was just absolutely exhausted. He falls asleep in a boat in the middle of a storm because he's just, just working it, right? So ministry, it's going to be work, but there's always times and places. And, and it just has to be something that's in our heart. It's part of our agenda. I'm waiting for that moment. I'm waiting for that window. There it is. Lord, just you and me right now for a little while. That can happen in the cab of your truck. It can happen at the stove or the sink. It can happen wherever you can find some time to be with God and give God that time and let him touch you. Let him heal you. Let him cleanse you. Let him make you whole. That's as far as I'm going to be able to get today. Um, chapter 5, verse 17 begins the opposition to Jesus. Up until this point, everybody loves Jesus, receives Jesus. Jesus is a hero. Yay, Jesus! Verse 17, things will change. But for right now, I just want to just stop and, and close out with this thought. J. Vernon McGee would say, every pulpit is a fishing boat, okay? He was just a good old Southern Baptist preacher, and I can't speak in that accent, but every pulpit ought to be a fishing boat. We started out the service singing, come to the altar. Jesus is calling. Jesus is calling. Have you come to him? Have you confessed to him? Do you have an issue in your heart this morning? Something that's going on today. Maybe you received Jesus Christ in uh, youth camp 50 years ago. But do you have something in your heart today? Because Jesus is calling. He wants to touch you. He wants to heal you. He wants to continue on that path with you to glory. So before we go, I just want to pray with you all, and I want to encourage you to pray with me. 
If you don't know Jesus, this is the perfect time to call on him. Okay? And just and ask him, Lord, reveal yourself to me. Show yourself to me that I can really know you. I want to walk with you. I'm tired of my life, my sinful actions. I, I recognize I need, I need a Savior, and I, I know you can do this. Not that you are able, but are you willing? And he'll say, yes, don't be afraid. Come to me. And for the rest of us who just have an issue in our heart, could you just pray with me? Lord Jesus, we recognize you are the way, the truth, and the life. And we want your way. We need your truth. We desire your life. So we come before you right now as Peter, a sinful man, as leper in need of healing, and recognize, Lord, that you are able. Touch us, I pray. Heal us from the inside out. Call us on this journey with you. If you've spoken to any of this morning about what the next step would look like, I pray you would just confirm it in their soul, that thought that they're having right now. That it's of you, Lord. That they would just step in faith into it. I pray for those who are dealing with difficulties in their families. Maybe health issues or financial issues. Job issues. For those of us that are struggling with the culture. With our government, the media. So many distractions. Help us leave all and put you first. Be the captain of our ship. Be our healer. That we can go into the world and declare, <laughs> Jesus has set us free, made us clean, and given us purpose in life. And you can have it too, in Jesus' name. We give you all the power and glory and honor, in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Thanks for joining us today. To learn more about the Springs Calvary Chapel, please visit our website at www.thespringscalvarychapel.org. Join us in person at the Springs in Hebron, Idaho, or here on the podcast as we worship together in spirit and in truth.